Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And what we're going to talk about in today's episode is just some of the craziness going on in the investment world. We're looking at things like individual stocks like Tesla going crazy or looking at things like Bitcoin or looking at things like just different types of investments that are hard to keep up with. And it causes a lot of us as investors just to wonder, am I invested the right way? Am I owning the right types of things? How do I even know where to start when it comes to designing the right portfolio for me? So today's episode is all about five steps to designing the optimal portfolio for you. Now, the optimal portfolio for you is going to be different than the optimal optimal portfolio for me, different than the optimal portfolio for your neighbor or anyone else. But the steps to get there, the steps you should go to to arrive at understanding what makes most sense for you, those are going to be pretty consistent. So whatever your goals are, wherever you are, this is going to be a good episode to help you understand what is it that you should look for when it comes to designing the right portfolio. Step number one, the first thing that you need to think of or that you need to work through when designing the right portfolio is it comes with, it starts with an understanding that it is incredibly difficult to outsmart the market. What I mean by that is if you are going to try to outperform the market, either through trying to pick better stocks or through timing the market, you're likely going to fail. And don't just take my word for it, but look at the past 20 years of history. I'm looking at data right here of all the U.S. stock mutual fund managers whose goal it was to be active managers, which meant their goal wasn't just to track the S&P 500, it was to beat the S&P 500. Over the past 20 years, from 2000 to the end of 2019, if you look at all of them, only 41% of those fund managers are even still in existence. Only 41% have survived, which means more than half of them are no longer even in business. Go back to that again, only 22% of all of them actually accomplished their goal of beating the S&P 500. So what you're seeing is that the people that were trained for this, the people that went to school for this, the best and the brightest, the most highly compensated people of those that try to outperform the S&P 500, only about one in five were actually able to do so. The other four out of five underperformed the index. Now, this isn't because they're not smart. This isn't because they don't know what they're doing. These are some of the smartest people when it comes to understanding investments and how to invest. The challenge is, On an annual basis, so many people are buying and selling. Information is so readily accessible. Anytime something happens, we immediately have access to it. It's immediately priced into the price of stocks and bonds and other investments. It just becomes next to impossible to outsmart the market. So the first thing that you need to understand is successful investing has nothing to do with trying to pick the best stocks, with trying to time the market. It simply has to do with trying to capture the market. And this is important because you don't need to beat the market to have a successful outcome. You simply need to let markets work for you. If you stick with it and if you own the right types of things, the market's going to reward you. And again, the reason I say this is there's this conception that in order to be a successful investor, in order to retire well, in order to be able to accomplish your goals, that you have to be able to beat the market. And if you can't beat the market, well, you can't be on track for your goals. And nothing could be further from the truth. It is next to impossible to outsmart the market, especially to do so consistently. And the good news is, like I said, you don't need to. If you can capture the right parts of the market, that is more than enough for most investors. So step number one when it comes to designing the optimal portfolio is simply understanding this. You can't outsmart the market. In fact, most people don't, nor do you need to. And that forms the basis of the starting point when it comes to creating the best portfolio for you. 
Step number two, once you understand that you can't outsmart the market, well, that doesn't just mean that all returns are created equal. It doesn't mean that you can buy a stock in Ford or Tesla or Amazon or whatever and expect equal outcomes. That's not the case at all. You need to understand what drives returns. So step number two is understanding how can I make the right decisions to know what types of things will outperform other types of things? What investments tend to outperform other investments over time? And there's three core areas for this. Number one, and most people just understand this intuitively, is stocks are going to outperform bonds over time. Now, that might seem super simple and basic, but that's true. Stocks outperform bonds over time. If you want more growth in your portfolio, you're going to want to invest in more stocks. You are going to want to have ownership or equity in a company, which is what having a stock is. If your goal is to have more consistency and more stability, not have the same fluctuations or volatility that stocks have, that's where bonds come into play. So there's a trade-off there between how much risk you want to accept and how much return you can expect to accomplish. That's the difference between stocks and bonds. From there, understand that not even all types of stocks have the same expected return. It's not like you just could buy one, like I said, and, and expect the same outcome as others. It's very clear that different stocks perform differently than, than others. And one of the big drivers of this return is the size of the company. So believe it or not, big companies, medium companies, small companies as a whole all tend to perform differently over time. When you look at the S&P 500, that's a good gauge for the long-term performance of large companies in the United States. And historically, it's returned about 10% per year on average. Well, compare that to small companies. So the Russell 2000, for example, is kind of the equivalent of what the S&P 500 is to large companies. The Russell 2000 measures the performance of small companies. Well, historically, the Russell 2000 or small companies have returned about 12% per year. So when you're looking at the stock portion of your portfolio, don't just have everything in big companies or don't just have everything in small companies. Understand the goals of your portfolio and that's going to help to determine how much should you allocate to big companies, how much should you put in small companies. But over time, small companies will likely drive a larger percentage of return than large companies will. And again, this is to be expected. When you're looking at a larger company, if you take a big company like, say, Apple, that has consistent revenues and you know that it's got great product lines, you know that those product lines are going to generate profits and revenue for the company. And you have Apple on one hand and you have a very small startup company on the other hand. Well, if you're going to get the same return from each of those or same expected return, why on earth would you choose a small company? The small company presents a lot more risk. There's a lot more of a possibility that it won't do well or that it won't stay in business. So if you can expect the same return, well, you would go with Apple 10 times out of 10 or a large company like that. That's why small companies have higher returns. There is more risk inherent in investing in them. A lot of that risk can be diversified away if you spread your money out correctly. But because there's more risk there, there's also potential for better long-term returns. Another place that you can drive the return of your portfolio is when you look at the breakdown between value stocks and growth stocks. Again, as we're looking at stocks outperform bonds over time, big companies or small companies tend to outperform large companies over time. Well, value companies tend to outperform growth companies over time. And this is something that is maybe counterintuitive, especially with what we've seen the past 10 years, where it's been the big tech companies, which are considered growth stocks. They've driven a lot of the return of the market over the past five, 10 plus years. It's been the Amazons and the Googles and the Teslas and the Netflix and companies like that that have done tremendously well. But if we don't just look at the past five to 10 years, but we look at the past 80, 90, 100 years, it's the opposite. It's in fact value companies that have outperformed growth companies. That's not necessarily because value companies are better. It's not because they're better companies. It's oftentimes because you can buy them at better prices. 
So in investing, it's not just about identifying the best company to invest in. It's about identifying the right company at the best price that you can invest in. So value companies tend to help from growth over time. So as we're looking at step number two, step number two being understand what drives returns or know what drives returns. This is important because there's a real correlation and trade-off between how much risk you're willing to accept and how much return you can expect with investing. So you need to know what's going to outperform over time between stocks and bonds, big companies and small companies, value companies and growth companies. Because when you're diversifying your portfolio, you want to diversify through different types of investments according to the goals that you might have for yourself. So step number one, understand that you can't outsmart the market, nor do you need to, to have a successful outcome. Step number two is understanding what drives returns. So where can you expect to get better returns over time? Step number three is constructing a portfolio that meets your needs. So it's important to know that stocks outperform bonds over time. Small companies outperform big over time. Value outperforms growth over time. That doesn't mean that you should just own all stocks, all small companies, and all value companies. That's not the case by any means. The goal is to construct a portfolio that meets your needs. So it might be a little bit of stocks and a little bit of bonds. It might be some big companies and some small companies. It might be some value and some growth, some international and some domestic. This is where you want to own a bunch of different types of investments. You don't want to own just one type. You want to own a bunch of different types of investments, but own it in a manner that will help you accomplish your goals. Maybe your goal is to generate a portfolio to create income for you because you're retired. Great. That portfolio should look a lot different than someone whose goal is to maximize the returns on that account for the next 40 years because they're just beginning their investment career. Or it should look different than someone who's looking to buy a home in six years and investing in a manner to do that. So understanding your needs and what the goals are, that helps you to work backwards and to understand what types of investments you should own in order to accomplish that. So there's two sides to this. There's what mix of investments is going to help you accomplish your financial goals, which is kind of what we're talking about here. And really what that means is how much return do you need from your portfolio to be able to accomplish or to be able to get to the point that you want to get to in the future. But then the other side of that is what's your comfort level with risk? You might find that a portfolio that works for someone with the same retirement time horizon, the same income, the same end goal, the portfolio that works for them may be terribly inappropriate for you. Maybe they're tremendous risk seekers and they're okay with a whole bunch of ups and downs in their portfolio and a whole bunch of volatility. But you see your portfolio and if it's down 10%, 20% or so, your first thought is how quickly can I get out? Well, if that's the case, if you just don't have that same comfort level with risk or uncertainty, then you shouldn't be in the exact same portfolio. So when it comes to constructing a portfolio that meets your needs, those needs are twofold. Number one is what's going to help you meet your financial goals, what type of growth and what type of investments will do that. And then number two, which types of investments will do so, but do so in a way that you're comfortable with. And then the last point I'll make on this for step number three, when it comes to constructing a portfolio that meets your needs, your core portfolio should do exactly what we just talked about. It should be a balance between your financial goals and your comfort level with risk. But you also want to make sure you're scratching any itch or if there's any specific type of investment that you want to own, incorporate that. Whether this is cryptocurrencies or gold or different types of real estate or whatever it is, maybe there's an individual stock that you love, build out a portfolio based upon timeless principles between the relationship between stocks and bonds, big and small value growth, everything that we're talking about. But don't be afraid to incorporate some of that. If you can incorporate a piece to gold, for example, because having some gold in your portfolio just gives you greater comfort level with being with remaining invested when, when there's ups and downs in the market. Maybe that makes sense for you. Maybe it's having a small piece in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Maybe it's having a small piece in an individual stock that you love. If there's a type of investment that maybe doesn't 
makes sense to have your whole portfolio in, but having it as part of your portfolio gives you the peace of mind of knowing that you're going to have a greater chance of sticking with your portfolio, even when things get tough, then understand that about yourself, know yourself and customize your portfolio to incorporate that. So that's step number three, construct a portfolio that meets your needs. And then step number four is rebalancing. So the goal of owning different types of investments, big, small, international, domestic, stocks, bonds, the goal is that you are owning different types of investments that perform differently. The goal isn't to own a whole bunch of investments that perform the exact same. Otherwise, what's the point? There's no point in owning many different things if they all go up and down on the exact same schedule. So what rebalancing does is it says, let's assume that you have a portfolio that's 50% stocks and 50% bonds, called a balanced portfolio. Let's assume you invest that way and then you invest and you stay invested for a year or two and the stock market has a great year or two. By the end of that, your portfolio might now represent 60% stocks and 40% bonds because the stock portion did really, really well and the bond portion was a lot more conservative. Well, instead of just letting that portfolio continue, rebalancing brings it back to its target allocation. All of a sudden, if 50-50 allocation, 50% stocks, 50% bonds, if that's the right mix for you, well, now if it's a 60-40 portfolio, that might not be the right mix for you. That's more aggressive than maybe you're comfortable with. So what you do in a rebalance is you sell a portion of what's gone up to buy a portion of what's gone down. So in this example, do you sell 10% of the stock portion of your portfolio to buy 10% of the bond portion of your portfolio to bring it back to that 50-50 mix. Now, of course, most people, there's different types of stocks and different types of bonds. And so the rebalancing gets a little bit more intricate. But the goal is to say, once you have your target portfolio, once you've constructed a portfolio that meets your needs, make sure that you're performing the right maintenance on the portfolio to keep it in alignment. Don't let it get too conservative if the bond portion becomes too too high. Don't let it get too aggressive if the stock portion gets too high or once portion of the stock portion gets too high. Rebalancing helps to, over time, minimize the risk of your portfolio because you're not letting your portfolio get too concentrated in any one area. And it also, believe it or not, enhances your returns quite a bit. What rebalancing does is it's forcing to sell what's gone up to buy what's gone down, which is what we all want to do as investors but if left to our own devices, we, we often don't do so. We ask ourselves, why on earth would I sell the investment that's gone up? That's my winner. Let, let me keep writing it. And why on earth would I buy the investment that's gone down? I don't like that investment. Why am I even keeping it as part of my portfolio? Well, you're doing that because what's gone up will come down and what's gone down will go up. So rebalancing forces you to sell a little bit of what's gone up, to buy a little bit of what's gone down, which leads to greater return potential over time and also helps you to minimize risk. So that's step four, rebalance. So, so far we have number one, you can't outsmart the market and understanding that is foundational to building the right portfolio. Number two is know what drives returns. Number three is construct a portfolio that meets your needs. Number four is rebalance. Number five is don't let emotions drive your decisions. Now this one we've seen a lot of in the past year here. So what often trips investors up isn't that they own the wrong fund. It's not that they own this stock when they should have owned that stock. It's not that they own the wrong mutual fund when there's a cheaper one over here. It's their own emotions. Oftentimes as investors, we become our own worst enemies. Look at last year, for example. Last year, from the end of February to middle of March, the S&P 500 lost 35% of its value in about five short weeks. Well, as an investor, that's difficult to see. When you're looking at your account balance and you're seeing huge downturns and you're seeing that impact on your portfolio, that's tough to stomach. So what do invest most investors do? Well, they see their portfolio going down. They turn on the TV and they, they're watching, tracking this virus, they're tracking unemployment, they're tracking all the negative things going on. 
and they see no one in sight. So they tell themselves, why on earth should I keep holding this? I need to sell. I need to get out while I can, and I'll buy back in when things recover, is the promise we always make to ourselves. I will buy back in when things settle down. Well, what happens? The market recovers well before things actually settle down in the economy. We had the fastest downturn ever last March, but we also had the fastest recovery ever. And what happened to too many people is they sold at the bottom. They made changes when the market was down and they missed out on the recovery when it happened because it happened very quickly. It happened before people would have expected it. And that tends to be the reality of how this happens. So don't let emotions drive your decisions. Don't be reactive. If the market's up, we want to buy more of what's gone up. We see that stock is hot or this stock is hot or that fund is hot and we want to buy it. Well, that might be a terrible time to buy. The alternative is we see these things going down. We see the market dropping and we want to get out. We want to sell. We want to protect what we have. That also is oftentimes not a good decision. So this is why step number three of constructing a portfolio that meets your needs is so important is because you need to understand what mix of investments will get you to your long-term goals. But then step number five is don't let emotions ruin that. Don't let your emotional inclinations of buying or selling or making changes in the midst of a downturn derail what's a great portfolio for you that will help you to accomplish all of your goals over time. So these are the five steps to designing an optimal portfolio. Like I said, this will, the optimal portfolio will actually look a lot different for each person, but if you can keep these steps in mind, it will help you come to the right ending place. It will help you come up with the right portfolio that works for you. So just to summarize everything, step number one is you cannot smart the market. Step number two is you need to understand what drives returns. Step number three is construct a portfolio that meets your needs. Step number four is to rebalance. And step number five is don't let emotions drive your decisions. So that is it. If you can take those five steps and if you can work through that on your own, you will come up with what should be an excellent portfolio for you to help you accomplish the goals that you have. So that is it for today's episode. Thank you as always for listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.